In the world today, mental health is an issue which thankfully more and more people are becoming aware of and comfortable speaking about. When choosing a professional to help you, what kind of service would you be looking for? At Lonvara, when asked to describe Mel Purcell's service, clients described it as real, compassionate, empowering, friendly, welcoming, inner strength building, a positive, safe, supportive environment, and she was described by one source as an absolute legend who enables change with love. Mel offers clinical counselling, hypnotherapy and a professional service which is tailored to the individual. She has a personal approach and makes sure each client's experience is authentic to their needs while also ensuring full confidentiality. Winner of the 2022 Australian Allied Health Awards for Rural and Remote Excellence, you can self-refer or through your GP mental health care plan. Lonvara, believing in you. This week on the pod, a bloke who wears a number of different hats, teacher, coach, athlete, fitness fanatic, new business owner, all of those things, Alex Baldock. Plenty of learnings to take from this journey, including dealing with tragedy, building rapport and helping shape the lives of our young people, overcoming self-doubt to establish a new business and challenges in establishing a new school out at Port Sorrell. Alex gives some awesome parenting and relationship advice, particularly for busy people or people going into business, and we go into a bit of sports stuff, including a couple of controversial times, how to be a great teammate, and what he's learnt from a couple of super coaches on the northwest coast. Now, with a lot of people that come on the podcast, sometimes they get stitched up by their mates, and I must say this is probably one of the better ones that I've ever seen. Alex gives us a good insight into why red wine and Tina Turner is a bad combination. Enjoy. Talk hard! I was like, of course I'm not going to walk again. Like, that's just the reality, isn't it? And the doctor that rang mum said, oh, we've saved your son's life. And I remember looking up and just saying, <laughs> that wasn't out. And he looked at me and he said, no, it wasn't. But I didn't want to give you not out because you're my son. And I said, fuck me, Dad. I just remember her telling us, your daughter's got um, leukaemia. During school, oh, we swapped class a couple of times. Who's Cluey or out of the two of you? Both got the same smartness. <laughs> not real smart at all. <laughs> If you are dedicated to something, as long as it's safe and it's not hurting anyone else, I don't think anything should hold you back. Keep pushing forward, you know, days get tough sometimes. You know, it does turn around, you just gotta gotta fight for it a little bit. I was like, why can't we be that 1% that survived? She said to me then, she goes, you were more like me than I ever realised. The Talk Art Podcast with Brendan Hinkson. Alex Baldock, welcome to the Talk Art Podcast, mate. Thanks very much, Brendan. Pleasure to be here, mate. Yeah, you've obviously had a few few big names on here, so I'm, hopefully I can do it justice. For None you. as big as you, mate. You've been on the waiting <laughs> list for quite a while, as I know, so we finally got you in. But I will say, I am a little bit rattled, mate, because I can usually lay claim to being the best-looking bloke in here, but unfortunately I have to lay me guns down today, mate, because you always keep yourself in ripping nick, don't uh, you? Oh, I try and look after myself, mate. You're yeah. Only, you know, you're only getting older as you go through, so... GQ yeah. magazine, look out. <laughs> so, yeah, it's probably only a natural progression that you own a gym now, mate, because I'm tipping you've probably spent a fair bit of time in them over the journey. Yeah, I have. Um, probably all sort of stem from... You know, back in sort of high school into college days, you know, the, a young 15, 16, 17-year-old probably got into the gym for the same reason that everyone does. It was sort of about, you know, how your body looked and whatnot, <laughs> trying to pick up chicks or whatever. So that was sort of where it stemmed from. But obviously it's um, a lifestyle now and just something that I'm really passionate about. And, um, yeah, I really enjoy um, doing that sort of stuff. So awesome and we will get into the gym later on but for anyone like obviously the ad will be coming up at some point in this pod but anyone that wants to you know do something with your health or get into it or take the next step in your journey obviously Shearwater Health and Fitness and um, like I say we'll um, we'll talk about how that um, came about later on but um, 
just for you, mate, like there's a lot about your story um, that a lot of people wouldn't know. Like we talked before off air about, um, you know, a lot of the people that we get in here, um, a lot of them are sports based and a lot of your story, a lot of people probably would know you through your football or through basketball and that sort of stuff. But there's also another side of it, which which is what I really love about our guests that we get on, that sometimes it's not the story that everyone knows that I'm interested in. Like I know that you've um, done a lot of work in the teaching space and with young people and also with your coaching and stuff like that. So I'm just as interested in in unpacking that with you as well, which we'll get to. But just for you, mate, just take us back to the start. Whereabouts did you grow up? Um, Wesley Vale boy. Yep. So I grew up, grew up in Wesley Vale, not far from um, the footy ground there. So uh, mum, dad, sister, um, yeah, we pretty much were there from day one. So I grew up really active childhood, um, always outside, riding motorbikes, playing sport, um, whatever it was I could do, I was I was sort of doing. So, um, so you had a farm, did you? A bit of, bit of land? Uh, a bit of land, not not a farm, but yep. just a couple acres out the back, just in the bush there. So I had, you know, motorbike track and, you know, footy goals and that set up and just all that sort of active stuff that, you know, at that time um, with, you know, no mobile phones and, you know, no social media and whatnot, that was sort of... What we did, we were outside and, you know, kicking about with mates and, and being active. So, yep. yeah, I was sort of really active from an early early age and just really enjoyed being outdoors. And, yeah, sport was obviously a, a real passion from an early age. So. Yep, had to keep yourself busy one way or another. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And just talking about your sport, because I know you mainly through football and a lot of people would know that, but your early love was basketball, wasn't it? It wasn't it wasn't footy to start off with. That wasn't on the radar, was it? No, nah, it wasn't. Um, basketball was always my um, my number one sport. So, you know, I, I grew up um, right from an early age. I was playing basketball at La Trobe, um, sort of started in the the Aussie hoops there as it was and then sort of made my way through um, playing social roster and, and junior inner town um, right through high school and then um, I made my senior men's debut um, in 2002 under um, Kim Robinson so yep. as a 15 year old so it was pretty much basketball all the way through um, right from from an early age yep. yeah and I know like as I say we'll talk a little bit about you, your sporting stuff as well but you sort of kept on with your basketball and your footy and stuff but do you look back at yourself as a, as a 15 year old playing is there anything that you'd change or anything that you look back now and you think geez if I could have pulled pulled myself aside then I would have you know gone about that a little bit of a different way or um there's probably times where I think you you know part of any sort of good practice is reflecting on you know whatever it is you, you're involved in yep. um and sort of thinking about things that you could improve on. Um, I think probably just at the time, being a sort of 15, 16-year-old um, kid, it was kind of just maybe just um, appreciation is not the right word because I certainly appreciated um, the opportunity that I was given, but maybe just um, sort of taking it in a little bit more and enjoying it in the moment. Um, I was kind of you know a little bit nervous on, oh, if I make a mistake or I stuff up, what's going to happen and you know blah, blah, blah. But... Um, really just sort of soaking in the experience and, and just taking it on face value. And I think as I sort of went through, um, I got a lot better at, at doing that and just being in the moment and appreciating, um, you know, the people that I'm playing with and certainly some of the people that um, I've played against as well. Yeah. And I know like later on down the track, we'll talk about um, what where you got into to coaching as well. But back then, like your coaches, obviously being a young fella, did they treat you any differently than everyone else on the on the roster or were you sort of treated the same and, um, and, and the second part of that question is 
do you sort of focus on that at all now in your coaching? Because I know you have a fair involvement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to be honest, probably at the time, I thought I was probably treated a bit differently to, to the other players. Like, I probably thought I had it a bit harder than, than some, but yep. that was just at that age, you know, um, being young and being raw and just, you know, a, a complete learning experience. Like, it just being able to soak everything in, all your feedback, whether it's constructive or positive or not so positive, just um, it was obviously all there. Um, to try and help me become a better player for one, but also a better person in, on the same breath. And I think at the time, particularly with you know um, kids in sport these days, sometimes that feedback can be a little bit lost, and it and it sometimes um, constructive feedback can be taken the wrong way, and you sort of get lost in um, you know oh he's just he's just on me for no reason, or he's just giving me a hard time. But um, it it is only because you know as a coach you want to see kids get better um and improve and and that's why you're in the business that that you're in so um yeah i think i definitely wasn't treated any any differently um from my coaches but some of the coaches that i've had over my career you know i'm extremely grateful for being able to be um in a position where i can have um, mentors like those guys because you know they're they're some of the best you know coaches on the northwest coast that we've had in their respective sports so everything that I could learn from them, whether I, at the time, I took it as something positive or not, um, definitely now I'm certainly a better person and, you know, I'd like to think I'm probably a better player for it as well. So, yeah. so just back to your schooling as well. So you start off at La Trobe High and then you, you transferred over to Don College, didn't you, For obviously for year, year 11 and 12. And that's where you, you came in contact with a few teachers that started to shape you. And we'll talk a lot about your passion for helping young people, but that's where that sort of started to manifest a little bit in you. Can you talk about that time for us? Yeah, I did, mate. Um, it was sort of around maybe, oh, probably back into grade nine, into grade 10. I mean, all through high school, I loved, obviously loved sport and loved PE and sort of gravitated to um, those teachers, the PE teachers that I had, um, purely just because of the, the vehicle that they were using for, you know, their education. Like it was, it was helping people that was using sport. And I thought, what, two better ways could you you know combine to to be in a career path so i certainly enjoyed the the pe teaching side of things um probably into year 10 year 11 and 12 it was probably something that i maybe was starting to look at maybe wanting to do um quite a few mates of mine that i was with at don college at the time were also going down that path too um, so I think the combination of some of the PE teachers that I had through my high school um, and into college was certainly um, a really big indicator for me um, wanting to sort of go down that path. Um, you know, I had um, Sean Conkey, uh, an Alveston guy who um, he'd only just come out of uni and he started at the Trobe High. He was excellent. Uh, Matt Bennell, um, another guy from the coast. And then obviously into college with um, Nick Haywood and I had Ben Murford as well. So... These were the guys that, um, yeah, I looked up to. Um, I, I wanted to be like. Um, these were the guys that, you know, had a profound impact on me um, as an adolescent and, you know, threw into to my teenage years and threw into college. So it was kind of like I could see the impact that they were having on me um, and the people around me. And I was like, oh, I'd love to be able to try and, you know, emulate that for the kids coming through. So, yeah, um, yeah it was just um, just about... Yeah, being able to positively impact and 
sport was, I guess, the the vehicle for doing that. Yep, yeah. yep. You had a common interest there. Yeah. And you say that they they impacted you. What? How did you feel that you changed through being in in contact with these guys? Um. <laughs> And what is it about them? Like, obviously, I've had Nick Haywood on, and I could talk about him all day. I'm a big yeah. Nick Haywood fan, so shout out to Nick. He'll hate that. But yeah. um, <laughs> what is it about these guys? Like, they they just they get into you, don't they? Yeah, I think um, probably the main thing I think for me, the teaching removed from it was these guys were just um, role models for me um, in the sporting field. So, you know, I'd go and watch um, Hazy and Matt Bennell and. Conks even, he had a run at Olverson there for a while. I'd watch these guys play basketball on a Tuesday night and then, you know, you rock up the next day to school and there they are taking you for PE sort of thing. So that was something probably from an earlier age, sort of, you know, a bit younger than that. Um, that was something that I just really loved and admired. It was like, you know, these guys were out on the court on a Tuesday night and then you rock up to school and they're there the next day, you know. So I think that was initially the first thing that sort of hooked me in. But then... The, the, edu- the education and the, the teaching part came into it as well, but it wasn't just about what they did on the, on the court or what they did as a teacher. It was about um, the empathy and, and the care that they show, um, not just towards me, but towards people that they taught. Um, and I know for me, like, being a 15, 16-year-old kid, you know, there are times where um, I've probably got to the crossroads at points where, you know, I could have went one way and, you know, got myself into some real trouble. Um, but these guys, you know, they could recognise that and they took me aside and said, hey, you know, you're like, this is the way you're going, you need to do this, you need to fix this, you need to make better choices. Yep. Um, and at the time, that was sort of something that I really needed. Um, you know, had a bit had a bit going on at home, um, but just for these guys to sort of pull you aside and, and recognise that and just sort of show some empathy and some care was something that just really resonated with me. Yep, yep. Mm. So it's more that, that sort of care factor as well. Like, obviously, they're fantastic <coughs> teachers within themselves, but, you know, in in any um, position of authority, I suppose, you're more likely to listen to someone if you know that they care about you. Like, I don't know, I think Zane Littlejohn was the one that told me, I'm name-dropping now, but he, a great quote that, that, that he said is, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Yeah. Um, if you've got that care factor first, they're going to take on board what you say because they say, well, hang on, this bloke's only telling me this because he gives a shit. He's not telling me because he's on a power trip or anything like that. Yeah, that's completely right. And it's it, it, basically that's the core of what, you know, we should be doing as teachers. It's not about, you know, the the pluses and the minuses and the multiplications and the divides. It's about resonating with children and, and being able to develop rapport with them and actually coming across as like you do give a shit about them rather than oh you know you're having a rough day but you know i'm taking that as oh brendan's not concentrating or he's off task so you know he's just being naughty or whatever it's there's something there that's triggering that behavior and that's something that i think good teachers are good at recognizing and addressing that in the right ways um, with kids and it's you know whether it's something they want to talk about at the time or not um, I think just being able to recognise those things 
um, and, and address them in a, an appropriate way, something that goes a long way to, like you said, just coming back to that care factor. And yep. once you know that, you know, once children know that you care about them, then they're probably more inclined to, to listen to what you have to say. Take so. it on board, mm-hmm. yeah. And we'll talk a bit later on about your strategies and how you go as a teacher and some of your experiences and stuff. But just back to your journey into that. So after Don College, so you decided then that you wanted to be a teacher and actually start to, to mould young people, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So yeah. it was... Yeah, pretty well, sort of 11 and 12. Um, I kind of wanted to to wanted to go down that path. A few of my mates um, decided to go to uni um, straight after um, college. But I um, I took a bit of a different path. So I actually had a gap year and worked at St. Brendan Shaw um, doing a sport and rec traineeship. So um, I figured I kind of wanted the fitness industry was something that I was kind of passionate in as well. But I thought this would be a good opportunity to get a great insight into teaching and it'll either decide for me one way or the other whether I do want to be a teacher or if I want to go down another sort of path. Yeah. So, Can you remember a defining moment when that decision sort of crystallised for you? Um, it was probably at the end of 2006 after I'd had that traineeship um, and that was kind of the time where I thought, yep, this is this is something that I really want to do. Yep. And that was credit to, um, I had some great people that I worked with um, up at St. Brendan's there, Steve Ryan, who, you know, he's part of the furniture up there now, he's yep. still there, uh, Fiona Morse, um, Emma and Paul McIver. Um, we had a great, great team there and it was really, um, yeah, they set, set me up for, um, you know, really enjoying that year and it was something that, um, was a great time and it really confirmed for me that yeah teaching was something that I really wanted to do yeah could you see yourself even at that young age were you having an impact on the kids could you actually see that you were sort of making making a change there? um it was kind of it was funny because I was in a pretty um interesting position in that um I was only a year older than oh, right. some of them themselves been, so yeah. I was I was um you could talk the lingo I was straight yeah I was straight out yeah I knew all the all the lingo that's for sure but, <laughs> all the abbreviations yeah exactly so yeah so I was straight out of college so I was uh, must have been what 18 turning 19 so um but I think um obviously you know with the younger ones you know the younger grades it was sort of something that I could actually um start to develop my my philosophies for teaching and the sort of teacher that I wanted to be um, without actually obviously being in that position. So it was a really great opportunity and a great springboard and um, for me being able to sort of work out, out what sort of teacher I wanted to be at that time. So, yep. yeah, it was a really good learning curve. Yep. So what was the next step from there? It was university? So yeah, right? it yep. was. So from, from St. Brendan's, I um, applied to university. So at that time, the degree um, was called Bachelor of Human Movement. So essentially, that was your, your PE, HPE degree. Um, I think it's changed its name now. It might be just Bachelor of Education with PE Specialised. But essentially, then it was um, yeah Bachelor of Human Movement, and that's um, what I applied for and got into, and that's what um, quite a few of my mates um, at the time were, were doing as well. So um, yeah, we, we I packed up the car and moved to Launceston in 2007. So um, it was a a massive learning curve as well but obviously you know university living in Lonnie with a group of mates is a it's a pretty good time so yep. um, stay focused I uh, was yeah we we <laughs> had a good balance we we were good at being able to um, turn it on when we needed to so yep. 
Um, but looking back now, I, yeah, I don't know how we managed to fit in what we fitted in. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And so from from there, once you um, managed to to finish your university studies, was that when you first started to get your placements and things like that? It was Latrobe was your first placement, is that right? Yeah. So the way it worked back then was you did um, your first two years were purely um, academic based, so it was all at university, yep. all subjects there, and then um, you did a swim prac for two weeks at the end of your second year um, and then coming into your third year was your first um, five-week prac it was so essentially you weren't getting into any sort of actual school classroom based teaching until then um, so I had Latrobe High as my um, my first prac which was pretty cool being as though I'd, I'd sort of been through there not so long before that so it was yep. pretty cool to be able to go back there and um, obviously be on the other side of the fence if you like I suppose yep. so, and some of the yeah. same teachers still there were yeah there was yep. pretty much um, yeah the whole PE crew that was there when I was through there um, was still there when I went back so yep. it was um, it actually made it um, a lot easier um, to sort of um, see what goes on behind the scenes because obviously you're there as a student you never you don't see what goes on behind the scenes but yep. coming back and coming back to pretty much that same crew that had taught me um, through it was a really good eye opener and it was actually a, a bit of a blessing to be able to see and get an appreciation for the amount of work that goes in um, behind the scenes it's not yep. just you know you rock up for an hour and a half and you know play some games or whatever it was actually a lot of work that went in on, on the back of it so yeah it was really good to be able to, to see that side of it this episode of the pod wouldn't be possible without the support of Alex, Sammy and the team at Shearwater Health and Fitness. Everyone needs a little bit of help and support at times, especially when it comes to health and wellness. Not only is Shearwater Health and Fitness supporting the Talk Hard podcast, but more importantly, they're committed to providing Shearwater and the surrounding community with a premium quality health and wellness facility. If you've been looking to take the first step or even the next step in your health and wellness journey, they provide a full class timetable, 24-7 gym, infrared sauna, Normatec recovery boots and a massage therapist. Something for everyone, whether you're a high-performance athlete, mum, dad, or just someone wanting to help be the best version of yourself. Call in and see them at 24 Shearwater Boulevard, which is right next door to the IGA, or you can check them out on Instagram and Facebook for all the details. And so just tell us about your first day of prac at Latrobe High because it was a pretty major incident that happened that day, which I imagine had a, had a pretty massive effect on you as a young fella. Yeah, it was, mate. So um, that was um, the day that um, a young fella in, in grade nine um, drowned at Bell's Parade. So that was actually the first day um, of my first prac. Um, and I, I sort of remember the day as as clear as anything like it was just one of those things that happens in your life where you know if you're a part of something like that you don't tend to forget it um yeah so it was it was pretty much just another ordinary day um we um, had a class for uh for pe and we sort of we were walking to, to bell's parade so that was nothing out of the ordinary i mean um as a student we We'd been to Bell's Parade. We used to jump off the train, the old train bridge down there. You know, I don't know how. Like, obviously, that was the sign of the times. You could just do that back then. There's no way you'd get that done now. But, yeah. you know, going to Bell's Parade was something that was, you know, embedded in what Latrobe I did as part of their PE yeah. program. Um, so there was nothing out of the ordinary in that regard. Um, obviously, yeah, being on prac, I was sort of just still getting used to, to knowing the kids and um, sort of just finding my way around. But um, I was with my prac supervisor and 
um, the way it's structured up then was there was multiple PE classes on at once. So you'd have, um, you know, three or four classes on with three or four teachers and you'd team teach and stuff like that. So there was a couple other classes on that day um, and we just yeah, headed down to Bell's Parade um, for some swimming. So they were sort of down around where they cross for their cross country, which is um, a pretty familiar area. Um, a few of the kids were swimming and stuff and then it started to rain. Um, so this was kind of just before lunch. So, um, yeah, we sort of, um, packed the kids up and cause it sort of came down pretty quickly. We sort of went back in dribs and drabs. So we, you know, a, a few teachers would stay with a, a group and, you know, a group was already ready to go. So, so there's no buses. You're all on foot. Yeah. All on foot. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I walked back with one of the first groups that was ready to go. So they sort of got themselves organized and were keen to get back. So myself and another teacher walked that group back and there was obviously still a few more um, left down there. So um, we got back to school um, at about lunchtime um, and sort of dismissed the kids. Um, They went and got changed. Um, And then, yeah, we sort of had lunch. And then I went to another class um, after lunch um, in the classroom and they took another group down to do some outdoor ed kayaking um, back down at Bell's Parade. So another class went down there and, um, yeah, we finished up at the end of the day and I was actually jumping in the car to head to to Launceston for footy. Um, And then I got a call from the principal and he said, oh, you've got to come back. Um, So I didn't know what it was about. Anyway, turned around and came back to school and got there and there was police and ambulance and um, media and stuff all over the place and like holy shit what is going on here yeah um so anyway i came back in and um you know there was just it's kind of like something you see you know on tv where people are getting out of their cars and they're getting swamped by you know people wanting comments and all this stuff and i was just like oh my god like what what is going on yeah um anyway i got inside and our our principal at the time um yeah he he briefed all the staff and just said oh um yeah he's Rennie's been found. Um, he drowned at, at Bell's Parade, and we just. Had you was... had any interaction with that class during the day at all? Um, no, not 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 that exact class. Yep. We were just sort of as a group um, heading to Bell's Parade. So um, I was with the class that was part of that group. Yep. Uh, but as I said, we sort of dispersed, and a few groups came back early, and I was with one of those groups that came back. So he wasn't actually in the class that I was teaching. Um, but. Yeah, I just I remember when um, our principal just mentioned, and I yeah I just couldn't believe it. Like it was just it just sucked the life out of you. Um, and obviously, as you know, time went on, and we sort of found out, you know, what had happened, and and all that sort of thing. You can sort of you can sort of picture moments where you think, oh yeah, I I might have seen something like that happening, but at the time, you obviously don't realise the significance of it. So. Yeah. Um, um, you know, it, it was alleged that he'd um, sort of got into trouble in shallow water, but at Bell's Parade, it sort of goes from shallow to deep really quickly. Um, and whether he'd stepped off, you know, somewhere um, a bit too deep and um, got into trouble there, and there was obviously no one around to to, to spot him. So, um, yeah, it was just it was just crazy to think that that was something that had happened and had happened where I was, like. Um, yeah, it was just a crazy time. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, something that was essentially going to be a, a just a fun day for the kids. Yeah, it can turn sort of sour pretty quick, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it, that was the thing too. Like, it was just one of those things that um, 
hadn't, you know, it was nothing out of the ordinary. It had been done thousands and thousands of times before over the years and it was just, you know, this one time that, that this is what happened and it was just so devastating and so sad and just, yeah, you just felt for everybody involved because it was just, yeah, it was just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. How were your co-workers at that time when, you know, obviously you would have seen them when you went back and had the meeting with the principal as well? What was... Yeah, so the way that it um, worked from there is obviously we we got some initial contact there um, when we came back the, in the afternoon and we were trying to sort of piece together um, what, what happened. Um, but we became really close um, as a group throughout the you know the, the extensive months and things that sort of led on from that event because obviously that was something that we had all gone through together. Um, so you know we went through all the the support networks and doing all the you know stuff with support workers and psychologists and all that sort of stuff. So um, it was something that um, took a real toll to a point where um, you know, we lost some really great teachers from the from the profession because of because of that day and that incident. Yep. So, what support did you guys provide to each other? You said that you got closer through that time. Like, did you guys sort of continually check in with each other to see how things are going? And was there any particular um, uh, focus placed on you being such a young um, student yourself? Essentially, like- yeah, it's funny. Um, we. Yeah, we obviously offered each other a lot of support yep. and externally um, we did receive um, a lot of support from the department. Um, however, obviously me being in the situation I was in, um, my um, people that were in, in, responsible for me was the uni. So, you know, I was nothing to do with the department as such because I was only, you know, a practicum student that, that was there representing the University of Tasmania. So... Um, it was really interesting at the time and it's one thing that I, at the time I didn't really think too much about it because I was just so immersed in what else was going on and obviously we had external support in place um, that the department provided us but I didn't I didn't receive any sort of correspondence or phone call um, from anyone at the uni to see, you know, A, you know, was I involved and B, am I okay? Yep. Um, which... Um, bit disappointing yeah at the time i didn't really think too much about that side of things um but i know uh, my parents were were pretty disappointed that there was no sort of follow-up you know from from the um the people that were you know supposed to be you know looking after me so um the external support i received from you know that we received from each other and that i received from the department as part of their protocol um was was really good but from the uni side of it, I don't think I received any sort of correspondence or a phone call from anyone until, you know, a few days after it happened because they obviously, you know, they weren't aware that I was involved or anything like that. So that was a, a bit of a disappointing part. But um, like I said, the support that we offered each other and the support that the department provided us um, was, was top notch. Yeah. And yeah. did you get the opportunity to talk to any of the students that were sort of directly involved? Did you get a chance to sort of provide any support to them? And what sort of support was provided? To um, them? I didn't personally. Um, I did, um, when when the coroner's hearings and things were sort of happening, um, obviously some of uh, Rennie's friends spoke at that. Um, so that was, I guess, one thing that um, sort of took teacher and student or staff and student to sort of another level because it was kind of like okay we're all involved in this 
you know, and we're all here for this reason. So um, there were certainly a few times where, you know, um, students that were giving witness um, testimony and stuff at the coroner's hearing, um, we had opportunities to um, to talk to each other about that sort of thing and just, you know, talk about how each other was feeling and offer support to each other, which was um, a really important thing because, um, like I said, at the end of the day, yeah, we, we were adults going through it, but mm. they were kids yep. going through it too, which, you know, is is harder in itself. So being able to just sort of um, lean on each other in that time was, was a really important thing yep. um, for us and for them, I think. Yeah. yeah. And just last question on it, just you as a young um, aspiring teacher, did it affect your want to be a teacher or how was your um, next few months through that? You said that the other teachers had to come straight back and I'd assume you basically had to get back straight straight back to work again. Did it did it affect your mental health, health at all or your outlook on teaching? Um, it's a good question um, and it's probably something that I... Um, in terms of myself, I probably didn't really consider at the time. I was sort of too immersed in making sure that the people around me were were okay, and obviously the school community and everyone involved in that was was going through this um, as well. So I'd sort of put, and I know um, we sort of put how we were feeling um, to the side to try and help support the others around us at the time as well, which sounds a bit funny, but. Um. Yeah, I think at the time it didn't change my outlook on wanting to be a teacher. Um, well, if anything, it was sort of something that I could really acknowledge as a as a devastating time, but then use it as a as something to learn from as well. And obviously, since um, you know all the legalities and things from that have come through, there's a lot of procedures and protocols that are in place now. Um, because of that event, um, which you know makes um, things safer to do, um, so I think that was a a real big learning thing for me from that. Um, in terms of the the mental health, obviously it, it did it did take a toll on me because it was something that was just absolutely devastating um, to have to go through. Um, but yeah, it was something that you kind of just put to the side at the time because you were so immersed in wanting to make sure that other people were okay as well. Yeah. Um, so just back to your, your teaching journey, obviously not any everyone that that's, um, knows teachers or knows the profession knows how it works, but you had a few different contracts and things over the next few years, didn't you, once you, you got your qualification. So how does it work? You just get a placement for so many years at a school and then you have to move on or do you get extensions or how does that um, work? It's kind of changed a little bit now, but essentially when I graduated... Um, if you so jobs could come up that you could apply for um, which obviously you go through the application process and um, address criteria and stuff but um, when you graduate um, with a bachelorate you can um, do relief so um, what can happen is you can just basically put your resume in at different schools um, and you go on to a, a register which is for relief teaching pool yep. um, so you can go on there and basically um, indicate how far you're willing to travel um, for work and stuff. So I put put into that relief teacher pool, um, and that sort of just gets you going, and you get different gigs. Um, but a lot of the relief work that I got was just through knowing different people at different schools. So you know, I'd just flick them a message, or they'd flick me a message and say, "Oh, hey, um, you know, I've graduated. I'm looking for relief." Um, and it was, you know, being a relief teacher, you could easily pick up 
three, four, five days a week if you wanted to because yep. um, there was heaps of it about. So, um, yeah, I sort of just started off doing relief. Um, I think I did my first my first relief day or stint was at Parkland's High, actually. So Can I just ask you something about relief really quickly? Because I yep. remember when I was back at school, the poor old relief teachers that come in, <laughs> we used to just give them hell. Is that really difficult to just walk into a class that's established? You know, and they think, well, we're going to have it over this bloke. Like, is that does that present more challenges than being their full time? Oh, hundred percent, it does. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's obviously the 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 good and bad with it. We had a couple um, walk out at some stage. Yeah, we were that bad. Yeah, we no, were no, terrible. I, I know. I remember too, like being, you know, back at school. It was always if you saw a relief teacher in your class when you walked, rub in, your you hands to together, rub the hands together, and think you're beauty. <laughs> but um, it was for me, it wasn't too bad because I was sort of doing relief. Um, PE, so it was kind of again just being they were happy to, to be there, being mate. able to relate. Yeah. Well, the majority of them were, yeah. yeah. Like the, you always got the odd few that would forget their gear or oh, you yeah. know, weren't yep. keen on participating or whatever. But um, yeah, it was kind of it's definitely got its pros and its cons. Like you know, your relief teacher, you don't have any sort of the reporting obligations or anything like that, and you can pick and choose when you want to work. And if you can't be bothered going in that day, then you don't have to pick up the phone. So, yep. um, but yeah, essentially. You don't have the continuity um, with the kids, so obviously, you know, you're teaching a lot of different classes. Um, you sort of just there as a as a fill in, pretty much. So, um, but I started doing that, and then I sort of picked up a few contracts for you know three or four weeks or a term or a couple of terms at a time. So you can go from doing relief to um, picking up contracts, which might be say for staff members gone on maternity leave or long service leave, then you can slot in and and fill their role until they come back. Yep. Um, so I sort of kicked about for the first year or two doing that, um, doing some relief, and then um, I picked up half a year at East Devonport doing PE, and then I picked up the other half of the year at Ridgely on a grade six. So it was kind of a bit of a mixed bag. Like I found, found myself um, teaching like um, electronics and computers, and you know you were just doing what you know you slotted into that school, and you just filled in the gaps that were needed so yep. you know the kids were teaching me more than i was teaching them about you know <laughs> computers and electronics or whatever yep. but um and then yeah so finished off 2012 um at ridgely um and then 2013 um was when portsville opened so. yeah yeah mm. so how exciting an opportunity was that for you to go to a new school and, and establish it and, and the next thing is like how many like what sort of challenges do you have at establishing a new school yeah. Um, yeah. Really good question. Um, obviously, to start with, it's a probably a a once in a lifetime opportunity. Really. Um, I mean, you know, lucky. I was lucky enough that you know Port Sorel was being opened in twenty thirteen. Um, Cause you were living out there, were you? Yeah. Yep. I was. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. So, it was. Um, it was crazy. Like I was sort of going into the back end of twenty twelve, um, just sort of wondering you know, what's next year going to look like. Um, and that's probably the other nerve-wracking part for a beginning teacher is there's a lot of uncertainty around what you might be doing. Um, you don't find out until sort of week nine or ten of term four that you've got a gig for next year sort of thing. Yeah, so, right. Um, I was sort of trying to figure out what 2013 was going to look like. Um, and there was a couple of other placements that needed to be had with PE teachers that were permanent in the department. Um, so once they sort of um, filled out, then, yeah, um, Samantha Ablett, who was our principal, um, she got the job of being the inaugural principal, she rang me and and asked if um, 
you know, I could come in and have a meeting and essentially I was, um, yeah, I was successful in getting the role of um, the PE teacher there and I also um, was on a class as well, on a yep. four five for that year, so team teaching as well. So um, from that side of things, it was just, um, it was an amazing opportunity. Like, I, yeah, just being able to go in essentially with a clean slate um, and sort of mould and, and make it how you sort of want it to to be made. It's it's a once in a lifetime opportunity, really. You don't doesn't come along every day. Um, so yeah, I'm extremely grateful to to her for that opportunity because I certainly wouldn't be um, where I was today without her. Um, on the flip side of that, with the challenges, um, it was yeah, it was a very very challenging time, particularly those first few years um, because what happened was. Um, the old Wesley Vale Primary School was renamed Andrews Creek and there used to be a school at Moriarty that they yeah. shut. Yep. Uh, so they shot, shut Moriarty, um, rebranded Wesley Vale's Andrews Creek and then opened Port Sorrell. So you had these different dynamics all happening at the same time. Um, and obviously a lot of the kids from out at Port Sorrell used to go to Wesley Vale and that was part of the reason why Port Sorrell was, was developed because yep. there were so many kids coming from that area. Um, so you had all these different dynamics and then sort of once we opened, you had, you know, a lot of kids coming from all those schools coming together, um, in one spot. So brand new staff, brand new facilities, brand new kids. Um, it was essentially just, yeah, a really challenging time in trying to work out your identity. Yep. Um, and that's something that can't be shaped for, you know, that's something that takes years to accomplish and, you know, it's coming up to our our 10th birthday celebrations this year. So probably only the last, you know, two or three years have we really sort of started to to embed our culture and, and really form our identity. So yep. it was certainly a long process, but it's really um, rewarding for, for myself and I know the people that have been involved out there um, from day one um, to be able to sort of look back and I guess, you know, realize that you're sort of leaving a bit of a legacy out there of you know you were here from when this place opened to you know seeing it through to you to its 10th birthday already so yeah um it's a really um a really pleasing and rewarding um thing to be a part of but as i said it certainly came with its challenges early on as yeah. well um you say about your identity what would you say is your identity out there like what are their core values that they try to instill in the kids um oh, i think it'd be the same as sort of anywhere you, you wanted to go um in terms of a school um, i think your core business is always the same but um we really just want kids to be resilient um empathetic grateful um and mindful, I guess, of um, of their surroundings and you know what they have and what they don't have and things like that. Um, we've been working a lot. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but uh, Hugh Van Kylenberg, oh, the yeah. Resilience Project. So, Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, we've um, we've been doing quite a bit of work um, through their program, and it's a whole school initiative that we've um, sort of adopted out there too. But again, it just focuses on gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness, and just. Um, yeah, really appreciating your surroundings and obviously out there where we are, we've got, you know, some of the best facilities um, on the coast and we're extremely lucky. Yep. I know it makes, from a PE side of things, it makes my job so much easier and so much more pleasurable just to be able to, you know, um, our cross-country carnival, we've got a beautiful bushland around there that we can we can hold that in. Yep. Um, you know, we've got the, the Banksy Centre across the road, which is a, a first-class facility itself. So... 
um, being able to be out there and have the facilities that we have um, is amazing and it's something that you know sometimes you can take for granted you've just got to step back and just be grateful for for what you do have out there so I think um, yeah definitely definitely our kids um, yeah resilience um, and like I said they're being very respectful um, and it's just a great a great school to be a part of and you know our our events that we hold like we always hold our um, our MND Portsy Freeze yep. um, every year to raise money for MND which is um, a pretty close thing to our hearts out there with one of our um, office ladies she actually passed away from MND um, last year so that's a really um, important thing that we hold close to our hearts and just to see um, the kids be involved in that and you know tipping the buckets of ice on the teachers and yep. it's just things when you have those sorts of things out there it's just a really great place um, and a really great um, part part of the community to be involved in. So, yeah, it's um, we're really really lucky. How scary is it in this day and age? How much we rely on modern technology? It's not till your phone dies or the Wi-Fi or power goes off that you realise you'd be lost without it. Well, recently my phone decided in its old age to die and stop charging, and on a weekend no less. So what do you do? Rather than waiting to speak to the network providers or retail outlets, which can be painful within itself, give Brad or Katie a call at Greenies Apple Repairs. That's what I did, and they had my old phone as good as new in hours. Greenies take care of iPhones, iPods, iPads, and pretty much everything else, and they won't cost you an arm and a leg. So next time you're stuck back in the dark ages with no technology, contact Greenies Apple Repairs on 0401 229 220 or you can contact them at www.greeniesrepairs.com.au or find them on Facebook. Now just to get onto this busted screen. And just on your teaching and your um, philosophies and strategies and things like that as well, obviously with, with teaching you've got a group of kids all from different backgrounds, different stories and things like that. Can you um, sort of drill down on what your techniques are to actually get to know kids and build rapport and that sort of thing do you have any key go-tos yeah i think it just sort of relates back to what we talked about earlier um just about you know showing kids that that you care um and that you want to build rapport with them and it's not so much about um you know what they're up to in the classroom it might be just um sort of getting to know them outside of what they like outside of school so you know if you know if i know that they play basketball or they play in the local footy team or they play netball or they enjoy horse riding or whatever it is it's just talking to them about their hobbies and their interests um, not so much about what they've been doing in class it's sort of just being able to develop that rapport um, and build those relationships from a foundational level nothing to do with what they do at school Um, but then that comes back on the flip side and then once you are starting to wanting to educate them and in the classroom those are the sorts of things that allow you to be able to do that um so i think for me it's just yeah really important to just build relationships and just um show empathy and care um not so much about you know your your numbers and your your science and your english and stuff it's it's getting down to that core business of just relationship building yeah yeah awesome um and you've sort of progressed as well into um coaching haven't you You're sort of coaching young people as well was that did that feel like a natural progression from teaching was that something you always wanted to get into or? um it's not sort of something that i'd considered um early on i think probably just because of being in the teaching profession and being a hpe teacher there are opportunities that come along that you kind of just do 
just because you're in that position. So I started off just um, coaching the local um, Devon footy footy team um, in part of the five six boss. So I think your young fellow might have come through that yep. um, through that stable at some point too, Brendan. Yep. So. Um, you didn't give him a big head. I was going to say, I'm not going to take any um, credit for any of that, mate. <laughs> he's still a long way to go. Don't worry if he's listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I essentially just started doing that because there wasn't really anyone that was that was just sort of, you just jumped in and did it. So started off, yeah, coaching the five, six, seven boys. And then that sort of led into, from that, you take a Northwest team um, and play against uh, a Lonnie team. And then from there, you pick a... Um, a team from that as well so um, it was just something that I essentially just sort of naturally um, took up obviously the teaching side of things sort of helps with the coaching side of things too in that you know being able to be um, you know addressing players and talking to to kids and stuff so yeah it was kind of something that I just did Um, and then I sort of got into I did that for a few years so looked after the primary school football um, side of things and then in 2019 um, I was actually um, awarded the AFL Tasmania Primary Schools Ambassador um, of the year so but from that um, Jamie Haywood actually approached me about um, wanting to sort of do a bit of work with the the Devils program so um, I started off um, just sort of working with the under 13s um, just which was kind of a good um, link between the 5-6 team and obviously under 13s being grade 7. So it was a lot of these kids that I'd coached in the grade 6 team I was then seeing as grade 7s in the Devils program. Um, So that was initially why I was sort of um, flagged to come on board with that, um, which was a really great great opportunity. So I worked with them um, for a couple of years um, and then we sort of just, they play a carnival um, at the end of their, their season just in Launceston and we sort of just coached that team and that's sort of where it finishes. But, um, from there, it was kind of something that I really enjoyed doing, um, and particularly with that side of things in terms of taking it another level from not just primary school footy, but then actually seeing like how a, a fair dinkum um, performance academy program works um, was something that was really, really cool. And then um, the opportunity just came up where um, Jamie sort of asked if I wanted to be involved with the, the NAB League under-18s boys, so... Um, essentially, that's the guys that um, go away and, and play against playing the NAB League um, against yep. the teams from the mainland and stuff. So um, I jumped on board with them as just a bit of a development coach over the preseason. So just um, you know, taking a bit of their their fitness stuff and just sort of um, being on board just as a bit of a, a skills coach and a bit of a development coach just to sort of be there and learn from. You know, you've got guys like Mav Weller and, and Jason Ling, um, Brad Davis, and then obviously the head coach for the States, Jeremy Webley. So, you know, some, some really great guys to, to learn off. And it was just a, a massive opportunity for me to just to be able to learn so much. Um, and obviously whilst still playing as well, being able to take some of that stuff back to um, where I'm playing and sort of implement some stuff too. So just really grateful to be 
um, be a part of that program and just have the opportunity, which, um, like I said, I've just learned so much and I'm, I'm really, really enjoying. And just going back to, back to coaching, obviously you, you've played under some pretty good coaches yourself, you know, with basketball, you've played under Phil Thomas and you, you played a couple of years of footy under, um, Ned Perry, who's also been on the podcast as well. So what are the key things that you've, you've taken away from these guys? And do you find that, you know, some of the things that they said to you or some of their philosophies come out in your own coaching with young people? Um, yeah, and again, I think it's probably, I know we talked about it earlier, about reflection. Yep. Um, at the time, I probably didn't realise the impact that, that these sort of guys were having on me. Um, and, you know, at the time, I've, I've been so fortunate to, to sort of grow up and, and play sport on the coast in a time where, you know, you had some, some amazing local talent um, and some amazing imports and stuff from the basketball coming through. Um, but to be involved in, you know, in programs and sports with, you know, arguably two of the the biggest identities in Northwest sport in Tassie, um, I feel very, very, very grateful and privileged to be able to have that um, opportunity. From from those guys, like they're very, very similar um, in terms of their philosophies. So they were really big on um, knowing your opponents um, and I think to be a successful coach, that's an element that you do have to have. You yep. have to know what you're going up against. Um, so they were both really good at um, doing their homework and, and scouting um, you know, teams and opposition players and, and knowing what, what to do to sort of try and restrict their strengths but also try and exploit their weaknesses as well. Um, but, yeah, I think as a whole holistically i think they taught me the importance of you you're not given anything um you have to earn every opportunity that you get and i think um that can be a little bit lost particularly um these days and i know it sort of comes back to you know participation of numbers and and whatnot but these days i think sometimes you can be given an opportunity that you don't necessarily deserve um or you're not necessarily ready for um, and that's just because of the lay of the land or you've got no choice or whatever. But back then it was, you had to earn every single opportunity that you got, every single game, every single minute of court time, you you had to earn it. Um, so they definitely um, taught me the importance of hard work um, and they definitely um, taught me some, some hard life lessons as well. Um, again, being a, a, a guy in my early 20s, um, you know, I can be a bit hot-headed and, you know, spit the dummy or whatever and it was those times where you know you just needed someone to pull you aside and say hey pull your head in um you know you're going about this completely the wrong way and if you want to keep playing in my team you need to pick up your socks sort of thing so yep. um you know like i said at the time i probably just thought it was um you know oh, they'll ride me um you know not fair blah 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 but now looking back on it um the opportunities that i got to play under those guys and, and the learnings that I got, not just for my coaching or my playing, but also just uh, making me a, a better person and a better human were things that I'm extremely grateful for and, and things that I'll um, certainly continue to, to try and emulate. Yeah, and it must have shaped you as a, as a teammate too because I was, um, obviously I do a little bit of background research which you're going to find out about later on, but um, Nick Haywood described you as a, as a great teammate and one who celebrates others' successes more than his own. Is that something that you try to focus on as a teammate? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, you're, you're in a team sport. Um, you know, if, it, if you were playing golf or tennis or whatever, then it would be a bit of a different story. Yep. But, 
you're in a, you're in the same in the same boat as well. If it's basketball, it's nine other guys. If it's footy, it's it can be up towards of forty. You know, um, you know, taking into consideration two teams. So playing team sport, you have to be able to be good at celebrating other successes and you know doing doing your best for the team and whatever role that might be. Um, I certainly wasn't a certainly wasn't a star. I wasn't a guy that was gonna you know come out and just you know win a game for you. But I think um, looking back, probably the teammates that I've played with would probably say that I was definitely um, very dedicated. Um, you know, I trained hard. I I rarely missed training. Um, I enjoyed training, and I just enjoyed that that aspect of being in a team environment. Um, you know, with guys that were you know, on the same sort of mission as, as what we were doing. So we're all there to achieve the same goal. And, um, yeah, like I said, it was just great to be a part of, you know, those opportunities with, with those guys. And just a little bit on your footy. So you obviously bounced around a few different clubs and played for different clubs, but mainly on the coast here um, in the NWFL, it was between East Devonport and Latrobe. And every time you went to East, it was controversial. Not not because of you, but it was always a controversial time. Can you talk yeah. about those times? Like the, <laughs> the first time, and then obviously we'll talk about the second time when yeah, you went back there so, as well. Yeah, it was, it, was, um, it was funny, actually. So... Um, I just moved back from Launceston in 2012. Yep. Um, so I'd played, I'd played a couple of years with North Lonnie, um, just because my housemates, um, Sandwich Wilson, Darren Crawford, they were, had moved from Alberston to yep. North Lonnie. So there was a group of us going there. So we just decided to, I went and decided to have a kick there um, with them. I hadn't really played much footy before, um, and then had a couple of years at Hillwood, just sort of on the back end of uni, just to sort of help pay the bills a little bit so yep. but then yeah I came back to the coast in 2012 um, and another good mate of mine from uni Callan Newman he'd moved back as well and his brother-in-law Dan Freshney um, and Brett McCall had just taken the east coaching job switching across from Latrobe um, which at the time I think I didn't really know too much about the history and stuff then but I, at the time it caused a little bit of um, controversy obviously you know two great players leaving Latrobe to sort of go across and coach the enemy I suppose um, down the highway so um, that sort of um, caused a little bit of a, a ruckus I suppose um, and then yeah so I sort of just decided to go and have a kick um, there just because um, Cal was going there and yep. we were mates and I just sort of wanted to have a bit of a kick so Was it sort of good for you I suppose to be a little bit ignorant to that sort of thing or did you feel any sort of angst from outside or anything like um, that towards the club? No, or? I didn't really feel any angst. I think um, obviously the the Good Friday match which is obviously the traditional one between yep. East Devonport and Latrobe when East was still there that first year um, they Latrobe had Matthew Lloyd playing oh, yeah. um, so that was the Good Friday with him so that was our first game with all this stuff that had happened with um, Dan and Bills taking on the job and then we had pulled a few players, recruited fairly well. So, um, yeah, I guess it was kind of just uh, the build-up, I suppose, of the of the game with those sort of elements into it and then with Lloydy playing as well. Um, kind of just made it a really big match and I, I remember there was oh, there was thousands there mm. on Good Friday, obviously, to watch Lloydy play. So, I think, um, I think the... The big fella kicked seven that day, and I think we might have only lost by ten or twenty points. So, yep. um, and obviously Latrobe probably touted as one of the one of the top sides there in that in that coming off a pretty successful period and sort of being in the middle of it. So, it was pretty cool to be a part of that. Um, just obviously 
being a Bombers fan and just being able to see Lloydie out there just you know still doing his thing was was amazing so yeah. do you get an autograph or you get to talk I to did, him at all? I did get an autograph at the end of it <laughs> I actually took my shorts up to him and said can you sign these please so yeah. uh, that was pretty cool but yeah it was a great great thing to be a part of um, and obviously it was a an improvement year for East so we sort of went through and um, yeah sort of made the finals and played off in the elimination final I think we just lost to Penguin at Penguin so um, it was really good to just sort of be a part of an improving um, side as well yeah and obviously then you you came back over to Latrobe didn't you because you played under Ned Perry and you were lucky enough to play in a few premierships and things as well but then you went back to East Devonport again when Josh Holland went over there to, to coach as well. And again, you described that as another controversial <laughs> time. But And I'd imagine being on the coast of it yourself, you'd probably feel that one a little bit more, did you, when you went over? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I sort of, yeah, finished um, 2012 and 2013. I played at East Devonport. Um, and then, yeah, uh, 2014, um, yeah, the godfather asked if I'd be interested in coming across. Obviously, Rodney Coglin from East Devonport had gone back the year before that. So sort of just wanted to be a part of a, um, you know, Latrobe at the time with the powerhouse of the comp um, and obviously led by Ned who, you know, is such a commanding presence. Um, it was just a great opportunity to be um, in a team coached by him and that was sort of the main reason. I just wanted to, to sort of learn from him and just sort of see how, you know, he went about it. So, yep. um, <clears throat> yeah, went across to Latrobe and then played there until... Um, the end of 2018 um so it was a pretty successful time for the club um a few senior flags and a few reserves flags in there as well so um and then yeah at the end of 2018 um we just bowed out um in the elimination final i think um and yeah we sort of just went off in the off season sort of our own thing and then um i'd obviously few of us have been pretty good mates with Josh. You know, he's a champion champion player at Latrobe and um, the opportunity arose where he wanted to sort of um, try and add another string to his bow and, and do some coaching. And um, East was obviously a side that probably needed a, a few more um, sort of top-end players to sort of, you know, bump them back up again and he wanted to be a part of that. And a few of us obviously being good mates with him um, decided to, to sort of go over and, and help him out. So there was myself... Um, Stephen Flint, Sean McCrossan, Aaron Bissett um, were all from La Trobe. So I think at the time, obviously, um, losing such a great player like Josh, again, similar to in 2012, um, was just really devastating, I suppose. And obviously, you'd be upset, you know, losing a player of that calibre. So not just were you losing him, but, you know, he was going essentially to the enemy, you know, East Devonport. So... Essentially, it sort of felt like um, you know Groundhog Day again, where 2012 <laughs> had repeated itself. So, yep. but for me, um, it was all just about playing, you know, enjoying footy with your mates, um, and that was my, the main reason why I sort of decided to go. With, and that's you know not a knock on any of the guys at the Trobe because there's some great guys there as well. Um, but just, so it wasn't a hard decision for you to make. Um, oh, it was. It was hard because um, you know I loved playing at Latrobe and you know it's a great club and there were great people involved there and there still are um but it was kind of just the social side of it for me um if the guys that I was close with um weren't playing at the club I was playing at I sort of didn't didn't really make much sense to me to be involved there yep because it is a social thing um for me so 
my close mates were going, so I guess that sort of uh, made the decision a little bit um, easier for me to make as well. Um, and, you know, we, we really enjoyed um, our, our couple of years there. Obviously, the first year, um, we really improved and um, made the finals. Um, and then the, the second year kind of dropped off a little bit again. And then, obviously, um, COVID happened in 2020. So that kind of threw a bit of a bit of a spanner in the works and, yep. and sort of mixed things up a bit. But I was going to ask you, you say, like, you know, people get sort of pretty upset and parochial around their clubs and stuff. Did you cop any grief about going over to East Devonport personally or...? Um, not, no, not personally, no, I just, I think, um, you know, I just, um, just explain what my, my decisions were and obviously, um, at the time, you know, a few people get upset or whatever, but I think, you know, people just move on and it is what it is, but obviously, you know, coming back to, you know, the first games, Good Friday, where, you know, you're running out essentially, you know, from the other change rooms now and you're at the opposition end of the ground where you've, you know, you've been used to just being at that club so it was definitely made felt you know whenever we played Latrobe that you know as as it is you know with anyone that that leaves clubs or changes clubs you always you know make a bit of a note of you know just letting them know or whatever that you're there or whatever so yeah but no in terms of like personal you know attacks or any sort of negativity around it was nothing like that and I know that that's just a um, a sign of you know the the quality of the people that are at Latrobe it was never a personal attack on any of us it was obviously a an upsetting time, probably more so because Josh had taken the job and obviously, you know, he's a champion player and he'd gone to the enemy and taken a few players with him. So um, I think that from the outside looking in, that was that was probably the, the negative part of, of it and the perception of it. Um, but in terms of personal negativity or anything like that, we were never, um, well, I was never subjected to any of that. I can't speak for anyone else, but yeah. Um, yeah. No, no, nothing like that. Cool. And you touched on it there before, but did you have any extra nerves going into that first game when you came back for Good Friday, the one when when Josh was coaching? Because I remember being at that game, and I went to the Matthew Lloyd game, and I reckon the atmosphere was probably more electric that second one when you came back, so to speak. Yeah. I don't know. There was just... (laughs) I don't know, there just seemed to be a lot of tension in there. You didn't know what was going to happen or whether there was going to be like an all-in brawl to start off with or anything like that. Did you guys sort of have any mixed emotions going into that game? Um, oh, there was definitely mixed emotions. Yeah. Um, and I'd probably, I, I'd probably be willing to bet without actually confirming that probably it was more so for Josh than anyone else. Um, you know, being, being um, you know, taking on the job and whatnot. But... Um, you know, you sort of get to the point where you just sort of put all that aside and you focus on the job at hand. And, um, yeah, it was certainly nerve-wracking and, and tense. And like you said, you weren't sure what, if it was going to pop off at any time or whatever. But um, And credit to everyone, it actually didn't. But, yeah, you just didn't know before the game what was going to happen. Like, it was played hard, but I yeah. wouldn't say there was anything sort of too untoward. No, it, and that's... And, you know, that's a credit to you know, to both clubs in that regard. It's, you know, it's not about going out and wanting to, you know, knock some bloke's head off because he's gone to another club sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it was it was certainly tense and it was, you know, physical. Um, but, yeah, there was certainly none of that, you know, sort of wanting to just, you know, take blokes' heads off or whatever. So, yep. um, yeah, it was it was um, really good, really good opportunity and good time to be a part of. Good growing opportunities of football. yeah. When it comes to home renovations, there's nothing more important than getting the kitchen right. So you've got two options. Have a crack at it yourself and then get someone else in to fix it, or get the team at Infinite Joinery and Designs in from the start to avoid a lot of stress and dirty looks from the better half. 
If you're thinking of renovating your kitchen, give Sam and the team at Infinite a call straight away. Specialising in kitchen renovations, they can also take care of new home joinery fit-outs, renovations, laundries, wardrobes. They have 3D design software and Sam alone has over 20 years experience in joinery and project management. Find them on Facebook and Instagram or phone Sam on 0429 291 008 or by email which is sam at infinitejoineryanddesign.com. So don't be like me, thinking you'll save a few bucks and have a crack at it yourself. Call these guys in so you can sit back and watch the experts go to work. You talked about your couple of years there at East, and then unfortunately, you know, they, they folded um, after the, the COVID season, and then you sort of um, had a couple of years sort of out in the out in the country in the in the DFA. And just through my research, you, you didn't tell me this, but just through my research, you won the Ewington Medal in 2021, which is the best and fairest for the association, and you didn't go to the count. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's correct. Um, so you obviously rated yourself pretty highly that year. <laughs> well, it was funny because, um, yeah, so I essentially after 2020 when East folded, um, obviously there's a lot of players there that were looking for clubs and, and whatnot. And a good mate of mine, Peter Fulton, who I'd played with at La Trobe, he coached the twos. Um, he, saw he was coaching Yeoman in the DFA. And I hadn't really, I was aware of the DFA, but I'd never heard of, of Yeoman. Um, so anyway, he's like, oh, come come up and have a kick up here. So myself and um, another mate of mine who I played with at La Trobe, Tyler Dell, um, we sort of came across and um, just travelled up together. And yeah, we played 2021 and um, 2022 there at Yeoman. But yeah, it was funny. Um, I'd, yeah, I'd, I was lucky enough to, to win the medal in 2021. But I, uh, I didn't go to the count because the Bombers were playing the Bulldogs in a final um, at Aurora Stadium. Oh, yeah. So obviously yeah. um, an opportunity to go and see your team play in a final um, in your home state is probably something that you can't really pass up. So I'd been given an invite um, from the league and our president sort of said, oh, you've been invited to the count. Um, I didn't really think, you know, I just thought, oh, you know, maybe a top 10 or whatever, like um, didn't really think much of it. Um, and I said, oh, thanks very much. And then I was originally going, and then once I found out that this game was on, um, I, I changed my mind, and I messaged our president and said, oh, look, I can't make it to the count. I'm going to go and watch the Bombers play. And he said, yeah, yeah, no worries, no worries. So anyway, I was sitting at the game, um, and I was just getting a few updates, like in our, we had our club group chat sort of thing. Yep. And there was updates of the leaderboard and whatnot, and I was sort of up there midway through, um, three quarters of the way through and then I got a message saying um, you're down by one vote uh, I know you're down by two votes going into the last round and yep. I was like oh yeah whatever I, we, I think we lost that game or whatever um, so it didn't worry you didn't start to get nervous no like I just thought oh you know that's I was pretty happy to be up that high sort yep. of thing um, and anyway he rang me uh, a few minutes later and just said oh You've polled, you've polled a three. You've actually won. You've won the medal. And anyway, I was sitting obviously around thousands of people. Couldn't really hear him. Anyway, he put me on FaceTime. So Peter went up and accepted the medal. Mm. So he's got me on FaceTime, scanning the the room, and obviously everyone's quiet whilst Peter's speaking, and I can't hear anything because I'm at the game. And mm. I said, I can't hear you. <laughs> and anyway, he's that he's had the phone up to the crowd while everyone's while Peter's speaking, and apparently that's just blurted out in front of everyone while Peter's speaking. Yeah. Apparently, everyone just started laughing, or whatever. But <laughs> so yeah, I didn't go to the count, and then 
obviously the following year I um I didn't poll many votes uh, that the next year so they obviously weren't real happy with me for not going on, so <laughs> oh that'll you had a strategy yeah. mate you knew you had other plans that year as well yeah yeah it just so. it just made me remember I remember the story about Dane Swan before he won his Brownlows and that I remember one year he was winning it and he was at home dressed up as Batman at a Bucks party that's... or something and his mates were messaging him saying you better get in here yeah that's unreal yeah so it's uh, funny one but just um so tell us a little bit about business mate so obviously you know you and your your fiance sammy have gone into business now opening your gym was that something that you always wanted to do and you know tell us about your your feelings going into it because i'd imagine it's not something that you know it's just a smooth transition there'd obviously be a lot of speed bumps along the way oh absolutely um yeah so it is sort of something that you know we both had a passion for the the health and fitness industry and it was something we'd we'd always really wanted to do um and we were sort of we were living out at Hawley at the time, so we just um, we just built our house and we were sort of settled in there. And um, we were just walking past one day, and there was a building um, vacant just sort of down near the supermarket. It used to be the old the old supermarket. They cut it in half and downsized it when new owners took it over. So we were just sort of looking and thought, oh, that'd that'd be a really cool spot for a gym. Um, and you know, this was probably two or three years ago. And then we didn't really do anything of it. And then. Um, yeah, we sort of had our daughter, Elkie, um, sold a house, moved house, built a house, moved into that house, um, all within the last 12 months, uh, 12 to 18 months, sorry, two years. And then, yeah, we sold our house that we'd um, just built. And then we were like, which way do we go? Do we sort of, you know, buy a house and sort of chop our mortgage down and sort of live mortgage free? Or do we, you know, here's an opportunity, do we want to, look at opening a gym um so we went with the ladder and um yeah this was sort of probably 10 12 months of planning um and acquiring the building and fitting it out and Shearwater health and fitness was born um yep. on uh monday the 8th of may this so year what was your main objective for opening a gym like why did you decide that over the house you obviously always wanted to do it but there must be a reason behind that why have you always wanted to do that um I think it probably just sort of flows on from um, the teaching side of things and just wanting to be in a position to help people. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, the teaching side of it, you're, you're wanting kids to improve and get better and that's the rewarding part of it and that's your core business. But then on the flip side of that, um, you know, you've got the other end where you want to try and help people in the community. Um, and so our vision with our gym was just to create a space where we could provide an opportunity for people in the community to just get better um, and improve and, and lead healthier lives and just improve themselves. So, um, yeah, it kind of just stemmed on from that, um, really, Brennan, and just being able to sort of provide that space and provide that opportunity for our community. Yeah. Um, yeah, which was was what we set out to do, and um, we're really happy with how things are sort of progressing at the moment. So. Excellent. And just taking such a big step like that, like there's probably a lot of people listening to this that have got a dream of, you know, they wanted to open a business or they wanted to do this, they wanted to do that. But sometimes those um, negative thoughts are what holds people back. And I'm assuming you guys had all sorts of demons and um, apprehension going into it. What what was your biggest fear going into business and how did you how did you combat that? Yeah, um, yeah, really good question. I think obviously for us as well, um, having not done it before, um, there was a massive unknown there um, for us. But I think, um, I guess it, we had the same fears as sort of anyone that starts a business is what if, um, what if it's unsuccessful, 
what if um, it goes under what if it doesn't make us any money what if people don't like it um, so we just had all these yeah really um, yeah just doubtful um, times and we had a lot of self-doubt um, there were times where you know one of us had come home just really emotional upset going what have we done um, why are we doing this have we done the right thing um, but then on the flip side of that you get moments of affirmation and whether it's a a small comment from somebody or um, you know someone just really likes what you're doing or thinks it's a great idea and just gives you some positive reinforcement yeah. um, so you combat those negative times and those moments of self-doubt with these moments of affirmation and positivity that you get from um, seeing something come to life or you have some, some people that you don't know just saying hey I really loved um, your class this morning or thanks so much for you know, providing this opportunity for our community and stuff. So, so it's probably more shutting out the negative and focusing on the positive. Yeah, definitely. And I yep. think um, it can be a really, really hard thing to do at times. Um, particularly, like I said, if you're going at it yourself. You know, it was sort of it was just myself and Sam. We were going at it, trying to get this business off the ground, whilst trying to you know parent our 18 month old daughter, work full time sell a house and move out of a house into another house. Um, so we had all that stuff going on at the same time. Um, so it was just a really challenging time and it was just so important to just, like I said, focus on the things that we could control and the things that we wanted to achieve and, and sort of just work work towards those. Yeah. And just the talking about the negatives and the demons and things, and you're probably in a pretty good position to, to answer this. Being in such a small community here, you said that you were worried about, you know, what if it's not successful and what if, you know, nobody turns up and that sort of thing. Do you think people worry more about the financial implications of that or do you think they worry more about what will people think if um, I'm a failure sort of thing? Yeah, probably a bit of both. Yep. Um, I know for us, um, the, the financial side of it um, is obviously something that always is a, is a key factor, whether, you know, any business that you go into or whatever you invest your time and your money into, um, you want it to do well, and there's obviously always that that doubt, that self doubt, um, you know, and that worry of oh, what if, you know, what if this doesn't go the way we want it to? Um, but there's also obviously the other side of it as well, in that you know you're offering and providing a service to your community, and you want that to be the best product and the best brand that you can make it. Um, and you know, it's. It's like the old saying, one of my old colleagues used to say, you know, you could be in the ice cream business and someone still wouldn't like the flavours that you have. Yep. Um, so you're not going to... please everyone. Yeah, you're not going to have everyone, you know, happy 100% of the time, but um, just sticking to um, what you believe in and, and really focusing on just promoting that and driving that um, is, is key to just being able to, yeah, be positive and, and like I said, just try and push aside that self-doubt and those negativity and and yep. just try and focus on what you're doing. Yep. And just quickly, just from a, a relationship point of view, like I'd imagine you guys had a lot of stress. Like you say, you're moving house, you're raising your, your two years old, is she? Or? Almost two, Almost yeah. two, yep. yep. So obviously that's a tricky time for any young parent and it's your first child as well. And then going into business. Did you guys have a strategy as a couple in your relationship to actually keep that on track? Um. Because people will have their notepads out right now, don't yeah. they? <laughs> <laughs> if yeah, they, they take nothing else out of this interview, put, this could be it. Put the pen away, I reckon. <laughs> um, I think we... Oh, you've definitely got to work at it, that's for sure. Um, in terms of an actual strategy named up, um, this is probably something, and I know 
um, Sam would probably agree with me here. It's not something that um, we did very well early on, um, and it did take a toll um, at times on us, and and still does at times as well. But I think the number one thing that you have to have is communication. Um, you have to communicate. You have to be on the same page, and whether it's something simple as sitting down and, and mapping out your week in terms of radio, um, who's doing pickup, who's doing drop off, um, and it's stuff that I know that you know families with kids would do anyway. But yeah, we just found that just being able to communicate and um, be on the same page is just absolutely vital um, to being able to, like I said have all these balls in the air and juggle them all at the same time. Um, and like I said, it's something that I'm certainly not perfect at um, and is something that I definitely need to improve on and, and work at as well. But I think being able to identify areas that you need to improve in um, are really important, particularly from a business side of things because you know you take those areas and you focus on them and you, you build them up and make them, you know, you make your weaknesses, your strengths and it's exactly the same with you know, supporting your, your partner or the relationship that you're in or your family or whatever it is. It's identifying your areas that you need to improve on it and working towards, you know, making those better. Yeah, awesome. That's the serious stuff out of the way, mate. And obviously, like I said to you, I do a lot of background research and I talk to a lot of people. Um, and for some reason, I don't know why, but some sometimes it gets out who's coming on and these this stories be, and things just this keep... Will be good. These stories keep coming in, but one mate in particular wanted me to ask you how you managed to find the money for this business because he reckons that when it comes to your go in the shout at the pub, apparently Alex goes missing. So, And he said last time that you opened your wallet, a moss flew out of it. So where did the money come uh, for this business? I'm wondering, who, uh, I'm wondering who's giving you that feedback, mate. Oh, they, I don't know. Maybe a sources, shout out mate. to Mr. Flint, I reckon. Could be anyone. Um yeah, mate. Could be look, bullshit uh, too. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm calling bullshit. Um, you know, it's a, uh, it's just the thing that you know, it just pops up. And if I'm not there for my shout, I'm not there, mate. It's just one you're of a busy man. It's, uh, you know, it's a timing's, timing's a wonderful thing. But um, <laughs> um, and the other, the other thing that I was told to ask you is, obviously, you're a very busy man. So you've, you know, obviously appreciate the fact that you've come in for the, for the podcast tonight. You know, you've got a lot of balls in the air with your business, with teaching and things like that. Is it true that you had to turn down um, to be able to sing at Tina Turner's funeral? Because apparently you're a big fan and apparently you do a pretty good version of Simply the Best. You said we're the best! Better than all the rest! Better than anyone! Yes, like again, I'll shout out to Mr. Flint for sending that one through. Might not have been him. Um... But yeah, look, mate, I, I enjoy the odd, uh, the odd um, serenade, serenade there after after a few reds. So, is that a personal favourite, or was it just right place, right nah, time? No, I think one? it was just right place, right time, mate. So, Words are easy to remember. Yeah, yes, no, that one, that one makes an appearance every twelve months or so. <laughs> mm. Awesome. That's enough of that sort of crap, mate. Tell me about just lastly. Tell me a little bit about your family. So, how does the family dynamic roll in your house now with a young bub? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy, mate, and I'm sure people that you know have just had kids or have kids would would be able to relate to this as well. But it's some of the the most challenging times, um, but also some of the most rewarding um, and memorable times at the same time. So um, I think the thing that we found early on was it's a complete mindset shift from 
you know, all you have to do is worry about yourself or, you know, your partner or, you know, what, what are we having for tea tonight or what series are we going to watch on Netflix tonight yep. to um, being responsible for this this little human that, you know, um, you've created and it's just, yeah, it's a massive, massive challenge and, um, you know, the challenging times as well, but it's um, it's far outweighed by the, mem- the memorable times and the, the times that you just find yourself smiling and just sitting back and just you know particularly now at the age that Elkie's at you know she's sort of almost two so she's she's talkative and she's running around and loves going to the footy and loves the horses and just all those little things so um yeah initially a a massive shift in your mentality um and your approach towards life but once you sort of get into that groove it's just yeah, it's tough, but it's also really, really memorable, and 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 you know you wouldn't change it for the world. It's just a you get a new appreciation, and you know it's just a love that you um you know that you never thought you'd be able to be able to experience. So. Yeah. Now, were you there at the birth? Yes, I was. Now, apparently, yeah. um, you're not real good with the blood and the gory stuff, so some people were worried that they might have had to resuscitate you after the birth. How did you go? <laughs> no, mate, I um I made sure I, I stayed at the non-strikers then. <laughs> To, um, to quote yeah. a to quote another former uh, podcaster, um, <laughs> I was well and truly moral support. Yes, yeah, so I was well and truly at the non-strikers. There, mate, I had I was holding the hand. And I had the wet the wet face washer just dabbing the forehead. You played your part. I'm sure it was appreciated. Um, yeah, so um, <laughs> I think <laughs> it was funny at one of the times. Obviously, um, you know, Sam was going through it or whatever, and um, like she was an absolute trooper. Like she. She pushed through, no pain relief. Um, you know the the epidural and that didn't work or whatever. But she she pushed through and was an absolute trooper. But there was a point there, I think, where she might have yelled really loudly, and I sort of I had hold of her hand and I said, "Shh, like, that's really loud." And she grabbed hold of my hand as hard as she could, and she goes, "Don't you tell me to shush." <laughs> See what and I'm doing like, here? And I was like, "That's probably fair enough." Yeah. So, but no, mate, I was I was there and I did all that I could. Um, Moral support was yeah, um, but you know greatest greatest day of my life. Yeah, you'll never forget it. That's for sure. What sort of dad are you? Um, I'd like to think that I'm fairly active. Um, you know, I love love playing and being on the move. And you know, Elkie loves tearing around on a bike, so I'll tear around after on a scooter. And you know, um, just those interactions and just the, you know the day to day stuff of um, you know playing with her and being there with her and just spending time with her is, is amazing. Um, initially, early on, I wasn't very good at, um, and you probably talked to Sam, she'll probably say I'm still not very good at it, but trying to um, just be supportive without having to ask what needs to be done. So just trying to pick up on cues and just go, oh, I'll just I'll go and get this done because this needs to be done or I'll go and do this and um initially yeah just taking that initiative to try and do things that i thought might have needed to be done um just from my point of view which might not necessarily been important from from sam's point of view so um definitely trying to you know you work at it and it's something you just got to improve on and, and learn on every day and get better at but um yeah I'm, i'd like to think that i'm a pretty good dad um you know supportive um you know always try and be there to when she wakes up or be there to put her down at least every day, uh, one or the other. So, um, you know, it, it's something that young young parents have to try and juggle and, you know, it's something that 
you know, you get given this baby at the end of the day and you, and you go home, but you don't get a textbook or a manual that comes with it that says this is what you have to do yep. now and, and, and they're all know, different, all that sort of thing. So, yep. um, yeah, but no, I sort of, you know, I love being a dad and, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. And it's, you know, like I said, it's some of the most challenging times, but also some of the, the best times as well. So yep. I'm, I'm really grateful for, you know, for having the family that I have and, you know, having a healthy and happy, happy child. So. Yeah. And have you found with the extra workload you've had to up your ante in the kitchen? Because apparently it's not your forte. <laughs> Jeez, you really have done your own work, haven't you? It just it just flowed, mate. It was like the, like a river, just all this information coming into me. Yeah, no, I'm pretty good at microwaving the odd meal, mate. And this is from sure. people that love you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, I'm pretty good at microwaving the odd meal, mate. So I throw it in for five or so minutes, and <clears throat> that's about the extent of the the cooking. So absolutely, um, but. Again, these days, pretty busy. It's all about you know maximising time. So you know, the less I can spend in the kitchen, the better, I think. <laughs> Good on you, mate. That's all I've got for you, mate. So unless there's anything else that you need to bring up or get off your plate, do you want to write a reply to any of those stories? No, no that's all right. I'll just put that one in the memory bank yeah, for, yes. for one rainy day. <laughs> just remember that. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's been, a, been really good, mate, to, to go through your journey. And, and like I was saying to you there before, like, you know, if, again, with anyone that, that we get on, there's so many messages and things that will come out of that, and I'll do a bit of a, a summary later on. But, you know, I think the key ones to come out of yours is, you know, conquering that self-doubt, particularly with going into a business. And, you know, you provided some um, fantastic strategies around that as well. And, you know, whether it's um, relationship advice, business advice, um, you know, coaching, and even just um, when we spoke about, you know, relating to young people, like I think there's so many different fields, so many different people that are going to be listening to this that are going to take um, plenty out of that. So really appreciate your time coming in, mate. And um, better let you get home and sing a lullaby to that daughter of yours. Yeah, no, Test thanks. that voice out. Yeah, no, thanks, Brendan. Um, like I said, I'm really grateful for the opportunity, and it's you know you're doing amazing things with with your podcast, and you know you've had some some pretty big names on this couch, mate. And I sort of feel you know a bit you know probably not up to it really, but no, we're, um, we're still I'm, still on the curve upwards. Still mate, on the curve upwards, that. but yeah, no, I appreciate um, the opportunity, mate, and just you know grateful to be able to sort of share my story and if there's something that you know helps someone out there or you know something that someone can pick up and and use then um, yeah that's fantastic pleasure mate all the best with it thanks Brendan thanks again to Alex for coming in for a chat a couple of key takeaways that I got from our chat was don't forget to focus on yourself when you're dealing with tough times it's nice to want to help others but you can help them better if you've got your own backyard in order first When you're building relationships in work or business, come from a place of real care and empathy before you worry about getting your results. And if you have a goal, focus on the positives and hold on to them while trying to push aside the negative thoughts. It was also awesome to get a great perspective on relationships for people going into business or just going through a stressful time in general. As always, if anyone knows of any other great stories out there that people can take some great learnings from, then make sure you hit us up and let us know and we'll get in touch. As Northwest Tassie is a remote area, I just want to quickly tell you about a great organisation doing their bit to help the rural community deal with mental health and suicide. Rural Alive and Well, or better known as RAW, R-A-W, have a mission to build healthy and resilient rural and remote communities to reduce the prevalence of suicide. RAW specialises in providing a proactive outreach and one-on-one support service which addresses situational stresses and increases protective factors to minimise the risk of suicide. RAW is non-clinical, genuine and non-intrusive. The service is confidential with no fees for participants and it uses a person-centred shared goals approach. RAW adopts a culturally sensitive, strength-based and collaborative approach to delivering services. Their team come from a range of backgrounds and receive training and ongoing support to provide evidence-informed care to people. To access their services, call 1800 729 827 
You can find them on Facebook and Instagram or jump on their website www.rawtas.com.au